of Acts chapter 23, <clears throat> beginning in verse 12. And uh, we're going to look tonight, kind of, I guess the underlying theme is that uh, the Lord works uh, by His hand of something that we call providence. And uh, providence is, is a part, I guess, of the sovereignty of God. And when I say the sovereignty of God, I mean that, that God is in absolute control of every detail um, of our lives. There's something about when you look at the providence of God that you look more toward the goodness of the Lord uh, in the middle of uh, difficult situations. And uh, <clears throat> so we're going to spend some time with that uh, here tonight. I want to start, got a pretty lengthy reading. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter beginning uh, in verse 12 there. The Bible says, Acts chapter 23, verse 12, And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty strong verse there, is that, that these people just, I mean, they just hated uh, the apostle Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain, and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. And then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do, but do not thou yield unto him, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter unto this man, or after this manner, Claudius, Lysias unto the most excellent governor Felix sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. And then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth in, into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before them or before thee what they had against him, farewell. And then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle, who when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also 
before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And whenever he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, and when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. And so uh, this matter, this, this man by the name of Felix, uh, Paul is going to answer before him. We'll get into that probably next week. And, uh, but there are three men that's going to kind of come up uh, in the life of Paul. It's going to be Felix, it's going to be Festus, and be another man by the name of Agrippa. And uh, we'll look at some of their answers that they gave to Paul after he began uh, to speak to them on the matter of the gospel. And then later on, after that, then Paul would be taken uh, there to Rome. Uh, this text that, that we've read here, starting in verse 12, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, what takes place, that this is the beginning of kind of what you're going to see kind of as a, as a cascade effect. And uh, Paul has is, is finished three missionary journeys, and now this fourth journey is going to move him toward uh, the matter where that he is going uh, to be taken to Rome. And uh, he will be attended for the rest of the way. Uh, there will be Roman soldiers and centurions that will be constantly around. Uh, and with him, some will, he will be uh, <clears throat> in a prison. There will be other times during this uh, time where he'll be under kind of house arrest. And uh, he will be locked up, I guess you'd say, like they do now. They put the ankle bracelet on and and uh, kind of keep you confined to, to the house or wherever. But uh, this, this apostle, this great man uh, of God, it's amazing how that, that he's going to be abused and is going to have to endure some hardship. And, and, and God does not rescue him out of that. He does not, he does not release him uh, from those challenges that he faces. God can do that very easily. He he can uh, take people out of prisons. He can, he's done that numerous times throughout the word of the Lord, but he does not uh, do that. And yet what God's great purpose will do uh, is that he's going to use wicked men to accomplish something good. And uh, sometimes I think we uh, may feel like that whenever uh, we're under the gun, under pressure, particularly at work or wherever, you're, you're employed that sometimes you have to deal uh, with people that are worldly, people that are carnal and wicked. And uh, you start looking at that and you start thinking, how in the world can God use these people uh, to, to help me to get to where that I need to be? And yet God does use uh, those people in that way. And sometimes the ways of God... Uh, can seem very strange to the unconverted. The atheists want to pick up on that and start pulling it at threads to try to make you think that you've been treated unfairly uh, by God. And uh, they really play into that a lot of times, talking about, it, well, if God is so good, then why are these things so bad? And what you look back at is this causative effect and factor of that is this matter uh, of sin. And yet Paul... Uh, a man that has, has witnessed so much uh, his fulfill what 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 says where he tells Timothy, Timothy, he said, I want you to make full proof of your ministry. And he did that. And I believe that that call is for every one of us here tonight that, that if you have been filled with the Spirit uh, that one of these days that, that we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an answer for uh, our lives and I, I pray that that certainly in my own life uh, that there is a that there is a matter where that I can make everything the Lord has placed in my life I want to have made the most and invested the most of it but, let, but let's think about that part how that uh, sometimes that we think that God's ways are are perhaps backwards or confused scripture speaks to that and I'm sure you have, have read this scripture, Isaiah 55, uh, verses 8 and 9. The Lord says, From my thoughts, they're not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so if you find yourself at a dead end, uh, I can remember reading some of those old Louis L'Amour books years ago and, and uh, those fellows would get out and they'd get themselves into a boxed canyon. They'd get into a place where that they'd ride down that canyon and they'd get to the end of it and they would think, man, I'm boxed out. I'm, I'm in a place where there's no way to get out. You've got to turn around and backtrack and go back. And I know that, that sometimes we, we may think that about situations even in our own life, to think that, that Lord, you, you've led me to a dead end. Uh, you've led me to a place where I don't see uh, a way out or, or around or whatever. And yet we need to keep in mind what Isaiah uh, says, that, that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And then Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him are rewarded unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And again, I just want to reiterate to you how that God uses bad things to accomplish good, his good purpose and his good will in our lives at times. And I know that if you look back at, at uh, some of the challenges that you may have faced in your own life, uh, there, there's a reality in knowing that, that God knew what he was doing when he was working it out. Uh, despite sometimes our fastings and trying our best to come up with solutions to get out uh, of that, and yet we know that the prevailing purpose of God, that because we were willing to submit to his plan and to his purpose, there were powerful things that took place. And before we kind of dive into this, I, I don't want you to... Uh, I don't want us to miss uh, verse 11 there of Acts 23. Notice what the Scripture says. The Bible says, And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Now this is after that situation where he was standing before the Sanhedrin. They got into a a big debate, and Paul was the one that kind of stimulated that. It was over the resurrection. And the Bible says that in verse 10, there arose a great dissension. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him in to the castle. And so out of the middle of all of that, that just chaos... Don't forget verse 11. It's where the Lord tells Paul, Paul, I know it looks bad, but you be of good cheer. You testified of me here in Jerusalem. This is not the end of your voice, and I'm going to take you to Rome because you've got some things that you need to say uh, for me in, in Rome. And um, even though that the message was rejected there in Jerusalem, and it's going to be rejected in Rome as well, uh, you, have to, you have to realize that uh, it's still important for the witness to go forward. Turn over a few pages to Acts chapter 28. I want you to look at verses 26 and 27. Here's what uh, the Bible says. And uh, he is kind of retrieving some, some Old Testament words from Isaiah. It says, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. That's, is, that, is that concerning to y'all? That there's times where that, that the word of the Lord goes forth 
and yet the things of the Lord are not seen, they're not heard because of the condition of the heart uh, of those people. I want you to look in Luke chapter 12. The Lord uh, mentions it in, or rather Luke chapter 21. Luke, Luke writes it in Luke chapter 21 and beginning in verse 12. Uh, here is what he says. He said, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor to resist. And uh, so when you start looking at that, it's almost like that the... The Lord was telling Paul, Paul, even though you're going to get there, uh, the people may not hear what you have to say, but that does not remove you from the responsibility of speaking out and uh, preaching to that matter and speaking uh, to those things. I would just say to all of us here tonight, even in this local church, be careful that you don't allow yourself to get to the place where that you cannot hear or perceive the things of the Lord. And we can, we can fall into that trap sometimes. We can let ourselves get to the place where that we become complacent and apathetic about our own relationship with the Lord. And, and the Lord, you can be reading your Bible, you can hear somebody preach or teach, and yet you can be oblivious to the voice of the Lord that's trying to break in and uh, to do that work. Now there are several instances where that, that Luke writes about the necessity uh, for Paul to go to Rome. Turn back, uh, first of all, to Acts chapter 19 and look there in verse 21. The Bible says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying... After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Turn over a couple of pages and look. We just read that in Acts 23 and 11, but let's go beyond that. And now let's look in Acts 27 and let's look in verses 23 and 24. Here uh, is what the word of the Lord says. It said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of, of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. I, I hope that every one of you, at some point in your life, that you have had a strong visit and touch of the word of the Lord that whenever you get into the middle of a storm or get in the middle of a calamity, to know that, you know what, I'm going to go through this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on beyond this because God has already established the ultimate purpose in my life. And for Paul, the Bible says, I'm going to put you in Rome and I'm going to put you in front of Caesar. And you're going you're gonna to be able to speak those things that I have placed literally uh, there in uh, your heart, and I think that every person that's called to do a task uh, for the Lord, no matter what, you're going to face challenges, and there's going to be obstacles that's going to be in front of you, and you can't afford to bail out and quit. You've got to press on. You've got to be faithful. You, you've got to you've got to just take it as it comes and do the will of God, because the kingdom of God does not advance. Uh, except for like they said, I think it's in Matthew chapter 11 or Matthew chapter 12, that the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent, they're going to take it by force. And there's times where that we don't realize that we're in spiritual battles, we're in spiritual wars, and what, what the enemy wants to do is to do his best to shut down our lives, our minds, our spirits uh, from pressing forward. So now it is that Paul... 
uh, finds himself and the bitterness that is expressed toward Paul. Why in the world would that take place? Well, I think the answer to that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. I won't turn there, but you've heard me use that scripture a number of times where it talks about the God of this world hath blinded their minds. I'll pick up on this again. It didn't say he blinded their eyes. It said he blinded their minds. And I want you to know that every morning whenever you get out of the bed and you put your feet on the floor, that the enemy is going to do his best to blind your mind. He, he's going to try to keep you so punch drunk you can't figure out whether you're coming or going. And yet the Bible tells us that, that what do we do in the evil day, Ephesians 6, that, that we stand uh, in the evil day. And uh, their bitterness that they had toward Paul uh, was motivated. They thought that Paul was trying to tear down the Jewish nation. They thought that he also was trying to literally destroy the law of God. That's why there was so much angst that came in that manner whenever they began to express themselves to that. Now, in this scripture, let's look there at verses 13 and 15 where it kind of opens up uh, the matter of this, this conspiracy that starts being planned and, and to be worked out. The Bible says there, beginning in verse 13, Acts 23, And when they were more than 40, which had made this conspiracy, and they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We abound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify the chief captain that he might that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we or ever he come near are ready to kill him. Now there's four times in this uh, chapter here where that Luke just kind of reiterates the plot uh, that has been set before him. You find it in verse 13, verse 20, verse 26, and verse 34. The word there for conspiracy means that, uh, that they literally are forming a secret plot against him. Now, what, what are these guys trying to do? They're trying to kill him. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing that the Bible tells us that Paul got them so stirred up that they literally wanted to totally de to destroy this man. And, and as they began to work there, they, they formed that, that plot. But there's something even that's even more telling. And, and that's the where that you see that, that they bound themselves to, to or put themselves under a curse. That they, they literally were at the place where that they wanted to, to, to be the word there is anathema or anathematized, that, that they literally thought that they were doing the work of God to try to kill this man. And they said that if we don't kill this man, then, then we literally gonna, we're not going to eat until we kill him. And, and so it is. The Bible says that, that their commitment to, to murder uh, him that there was the fact that uh, there was a pretty serious consecration that they were at the point where they were even willing to die themselves and if, if they could just get their hands uh, on, this, on this great man of God. And um, so the Bible tells us there are biblical examples of where that there can be faults fast. I won't read those, but I've got them... Uh, reference there for you, 1 Samuel 14, verses 28 and 30, and then Isaiah 58, uh, which is probably a classic passage on fasting, but the first, those verses there, 3 to 5, kind of tells us the wrong ways to fast, and then Isaiah opens up even more uh, the other ways to fast. I, I would just tell you this about fasting. I, I, maybe this will help you. I remember years ago when I was young, I would just kind of make these commitments, I'm going to fast. And you start trying to get on an extended fast, and I'm telling you, you can, you can, lose, you can lose out pretty quick unless you put a purpose to your fasting. 
And whenever you're willing to sit down, and I, this is where I get into, I believe we ought to write things down, journals, diaries, whatever you want to call them, that, that if you have a specific purpose and you write down, these are the reasons that I'm fasting. These are the reasons that I want to see the Lord move. That by looking at those reasons when you fast, that there's something that can take place whenever you begin to fast. And I'll tell you this, you go on an extended fast, I'm not talking about a day, I'm talking about three days, seven days, something like that. That if you look at those reasons why you are fasting, then I'm going to tell you, it will help you to get over the hump and usually the toughest day is the second day. That headache and, and all the, just the bad part that you go through. But, but anyways, get a purpose for your fasting. Now, now Paul had taken some similar, similar vows before and that he had determined that he was going to fast uh, in that way. And so uh, I won't read all of those, but there are Acts 18, Acts 21, uh, even Jesus made some of those spiritual vows as well. Luke 22, uh, Mark 14, 25, and even there in the Sermon on the Mount. But these 40 men, this is pretty amazing. you got 40 guys that literally are most commentaries say that these guys were assassins. And it's pretty odd that these guys were, were assassins in a way where that they were tied in to, to these priests. Uh, that's that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty odd in itself, and uh, these men came to the place where uh, that they knew we're we're going to do everything we can to wipe this man out. And uh, if you've ever heard stories of Brother Demerchant, uh, various places, even other various missionaries, there have been. Uh, certainly times that we have heard of missionaries that, that they tried to physically harm or physically kill uh, those people to try to hinder the forward progress of the gospel. And yet, uh, here's Paul. Paul is, is here. These assassins are moving uh, with these religious leaders. And why is it that these religious leaders are wanting to annihilate and kill Paul? Um, I, I think really you have to go back to the existence and don't be surprised that religious leaders were be, would be a part of that uh, because the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4 that whenever Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices that Hebrews 11 talks about Abel that he offered a more excellent sacrifice and so what happened? The Bible tells us that Cain came along and because Abel's sacrifice was accepted, because Cain had a relationship with religion, uh, he killed Abel. Now, now what, what is religion, what does that look like? Here's what religion looks like. I'm going to serve God my way. That, that's what religion looks like. Religion looks like it's, it's like, okay, here, here's the thing. I'm going to serve God the way that I want to serve God. Not, not the way that the Scriptures direct, not, not the way that the, the presence of the Lord convicts me of, but here's the thing. I'm going to serve God the way that I want to serve God, and if you do that, I'm not saying you, but if people do that, then what does that do? That flips them into the role of Cain. And so whenever Abel offers the sacrifice that the Lord has called him to offer up, then it stirs up those religious spirits. And if you don't think that those religious spirits are still alive and well, uh, you have forgotten what Jude references whenever he mentions, uh, he mentions Cain in his little... Last letter, the Acts of the Apostates. He mentions uh, Cain, he mentions Korah, and he mentions Balaam. And, and that's what those spirits are very much alive and well. And so even uh, Luke comes along and, and tells us that these assassins are coming after uh, the Apostle Paul. And there's a man that, 
you probably have heard his name expressed before. His name was Josephus, and he was a a Jewish uh, historian, so to speak. And whenever you look at some of the writings of Josephus, what you find out is you find out that these corrupt men were working with these religious people. And because they were working with these religious people, then Josephus comes along and begins to describe uh, in his historical accounts that there was bribery, political plots, even assassination attempts that were ordered by priests on rival opponents. It's almost like you'd think that it was the mafia that was in charge of that. And, uh, and that was the way that religion works, and I think that probably some of that is still present even today. And so it starts coming out that there, that, that conspiracy is, is, has been planned. Be, be careful. Be careful that you don't get drawn in with people, with movements that are trying to hinder or trying to destroy the forward progress of the kingdom of God. In fact, you, you ought to run in the opposite direction away from that kind of activity because the fact of the matter is this, is there can be no blessing of God on my life if I'm involved in that kind of traffic. And uh, I've I just um, here, just in, in my own mind, just uh, thinking about, friends of mine that, that are surrounding me and the input that they have had. Some of it's been, I guess, stimulated by my brother-in-law being here with us for the last uh, few days or so. But, but just the people that for the last 30 to 35 years of my life is that, that you gravitate toward people and people have uh, where that they deposit things into your life and into your spirit. And I, I can, can honestly say uh, that that the people that I picked up on that there were things that that you that you felt that these things were just a miss. I'm just going to tell you, I did my I ran from those kind of people because they have nothing good to contribute to my own spiritual well being in my life. And you've heard that old statement before: birds of a feather flock together. There's a lot of truth to that. And I can just tell you that the people that I run with, the people that I am surrounded with, that those kind of people dictate whether or not I'm going to have spiritual growth or whether I'm going to have spiritual deterioration uh, that's in my life. And so the story here, let's look to verse 16. The Bible says there, And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul, And then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. And so he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. And then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately. And he asked him, he said, What is it? that thou hast to tell me. And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring Paul down tomorrow unto the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for they lie in wait of him, or for him, of them, more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee? So the chief captain then let the young man depart, and he charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And so as the story unfolds here, this is probably one of the first, in fact, it's the first reference that you find in the Bible that speaks of that matter, Paul's family. And it points out that matter that, that he is a... Uh, that he is a nephew. Turn, turn with me to, or to Romans chapter 16. And I want you to look. Uh, there are some just kind of hints that are given whenever Paul uh, salutes the church there at Rome. Uh, look there in verse 7. The Bible says there, Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, 
and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Look down to verse 11. The Bible says, Salute Herodian, my kinsman, and greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. And then skip down uh, to verse 21. The Bible says there, Timotheus, my fellow, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. So it very well could be that these were family members of uh, the Apostle Paul, but there's not a lot that we know about uh, his family. He was, he was there in Jerusalem, but he was from Tarsus, which was several hundred miles away. But now there's a nephew here. Some think that maybe his nephew was there to be trained as a rabbi, uh, as Paul was in his early life. We don't know that uh, for a certainty, but, but again, just something to kind of entertain uh, there in your minds. But what did happen to Paul's family? How, how can we uh, surmise some of the things that, that may have happened? I think the answer to that lies... Uh, in Philippians chapter 3. I want you to turn over uh, to Philippians chapter 3 and I want you to look with me uh, to... Let's start in verse 4. Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. The Bible says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I, I do more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. It would appear that whenever Paul writes this, that even his own family turned their back on him because of his conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you, you think about that for a minute. That, that the apostle Paul, that his family turned away from him, that they totally turned their backs on him because of his commitment to the Lord. And uh, uh, again, I, I was putting this Bible study together and I thought about a situation that took place back when I was a kid, 75 or 76. There was a young lady uh, that came to the church there in, in Niceville, Florida. And, um, and they had, she had met a young man, in fact, at a, at a grocery store. And uh, he had gone to church there and had started talking to her about baptism and uh, the necessity of being baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus and started working through and showing her that uh, in the word of the Lord. And she became convinced of that. And uh, so her family told her, they said, we're, we're just going to tell you this. If you go down there to that Pentecostal church and you let them baptize you, uh, you, you're, we're going to throw you out of, of our house. And uh, she, I don't know, she's probably 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. And I remember on that Wednesday night uh, that Brother Dennis uh, there at the church there in Niceville, there wasn't a big crowd on Wednesday night, uh, kind of like us. Uh, not the Sunday crowd, but it was Wednesday night, faithful few. Thank God for all of you that come. And, uh, but anyways, they, they baptized her that night and uh, then whenever they drove to her house, her parents had packed up her suitcases and they were sitting out on the front porch. My connection to her was she landed at our house and I got kicked out of my bedroom <laughs> and uh, got moved in with Mark and... Uh, and this young lady spent about two months in our house. My mother uh, sewed her wedding dress, and uh, my dad gave her away. Her family disowned her. And they disowned her for probably 30 to 35 years. 
and uh, right before her parents passed away, I think there was a little bit of, of reconciliation. But, but this young lady, because she was committed to what she was doing, uh, was willing to, to forsake everything. And uh, the rest of the story is this. They ended up, they landed out in a church in Louisiana. And uh, even to this day, the, one of the hurricanes destroyed the church where that they went. And they're in a gymnasium right now. Uh, but up until that point, before the storm destroyed that church, I think maybe two years ago or so, three years ago, uh, that this man and his wife, and it had children were still in the church, and um, and that's what's called commitment. It's it's hard it's hard for me. It's it's hard for me, and it's not going to be politically correct. Probably not going to be religiously correct. It's difficult for me when I hear those kinds of stories. That whenever I hear people offer excuses that somebody hurt their feelings or somebody offended them or somebody didn't do this or that or the other. We're going to get to judgment. Do you realize realize first century saints did not... I've I've got a hundred Bibles. I've got a hundred of them. In that first century church, they they didn't have access to this. We're sitting in an air-conditioned building, a nice building. And um, we got all these resources, nothing to hold you back from spiritual growth. And it's hard to get people to pray it's hard to get people to read their Bibles. Why? Why is that? The God of this world had blinded their minds. And there's going to be first and second and third century saints that I'm going to be standing up beside at the judgment. I'm, I'm going to stand next to this. She's a, I've tried to figure it up. They, they will have been married 2026, 20, 50 years. And, and we're going to stand in judgment next to those folks. And that scripture haunts me. To, to whom much is given, much is required. I've been in thousands of church services, I've heard thousands of sermons. I've been in thousands of prayer meetings. Been in hundreds of camp meeting services. Hundreds of conferences. And here's here's the apostle. He says, Yea, doubtless, I count all these things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I, I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He draws us in. He said, let us therefore, 
as many as be perfect be thus minded and if in anything ye be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this unto you what's the Lord revealed to you in the last month what's he talked to you about in the last month how in the world can I offer up excuses to a Savior that has died for my sins? How in the world can I do that? I can't, I can't afford to do that. And Paul was at this place, and, and now he becomes aware of this, of this plot that is against him. I got a feeling it would be very easy for Paul to just throw his hands up and say, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm tired of this. I'm weary of this, but, but he didn't do that. He, uh, he realized that the purpose of God was for his life and that he had to press forward. I'm going to point something out, another thing out that kind of leaped out at me. Look at verse 18 of Acts 23. Here's what he says. He says, talking about the young man, he said, So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him. Now, Paul uses that description in his relationship with the Lord. He does it in Ephesians 3 and 1, Ephesians 4 and 1, 2 Timothy 1 and 8, Philemon verse 1, Philemon verse 9, Philemon verse 23. He describes himself. He said, I'm a prisoner. You realize prisoners don't have any choice of what they're going to eat. They don't have any choice of where they're going to stay. They don't have any choice of their accommodations. They have no rights whatsoever. And he describes himself. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus in one place, a prisoner of the Lord. And then in another place he says, I'm his prisoner. He, he was willing to relegate every desire, every ambition, every bit of his choices. He said, I'm going to be put into a society of prisoners. I'm going to be put into a place where that, that I'm literally enslaved to Jesus Christ and I'm willing to bear any kind of suffering or challenge that comes to me because I am his slave. And while most of the world, and sometimes even those in the church, chafe, chafe and struggle and battle to achieve their rights, what they're really doing and really don't understand is that they are refusing to be in complete submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, our complete submission and surrender to the Lord, it has such an impact on our spiritual life, I think sometimes that we don't realize that. That whenever I am not completely surrendered, what does it do? It, it hinders my relationship with the Word. It hinders my relationship in prayer. It hinders what takes place whenever I'm at a place of work, worship. And, and yet, if you have been in the church for any length of time, you have heard ministers, preachers, pastors talk about how that, that Paul was literally chained to some of these some of these soldiers, and, and it's, a, it's a historical fact that he was literally chained wrist to wrist with some of these centurions. Who, who were those people? If you dig around, you find out they were part of what was called the Praetorian Guard. There were 16,000 of these guys. And what would happen is that Paul would start talking to them about the Lord and that those people would be converted you remember, you remember what he said? I think it's in, in Philippians. He said, oh, by the way, the saints in Caesar's house, they salute you. How, how did you get saints in Caesar's house? 
because Paul witnessed to soldiers. And then those soldiers talked to those people that were in the houses of the Caesar. Probably converted in some little old prayer meeting, some little old small group. And those folks got in there and got to praying, got to talking to the Lord about what Paul had told them. And, and uh, there they were, and they were converted. These were the men that, that Paul personally impacted. And, and here's a spiritual lesson, I think, for every one of us. It, maybe not you, but I'm going to apply it to myself. Is, is we can't ever afford to let our circumstances weigh us down into a place of silence and discouragement and despair. And I'm just going to tell you, if you feel pressure right now, trust me, I talk to a lot of pastors. It's not just here. It's everywhere. Why is there so much of an intensification of pressure? Is because we're at the end. And you wonder sometimes, what did, what, what's the end times going to look like? We're there. There's so much that's going on right now as far as the digital currency that's going on and, and various other things. It's almost like it's on a fast track. And these things are pressing and moving forward. And the pressure that you feel... You may think, well, I'm stressed out because of my job or I'm stressed out because of this or that or the other. You're stressed out because of the pressure of spiritual darkness. And it's pressing down on us. And yet we've got to be like the Apostle Paul back in the first century because if you want to dig in and find out how you think our politicians were corrupt, our politicians pale in comparison to what the Roman Caesars were doing. And yet here was the Apostle Paul, man. He was just moving on. And the spiritual lesson is this, is that when persecution or failure or financial loss or divorce or rejection or loss of loved ones or AIDS or abuse or poverty or sin or even imprisonment comes in our direction, all we got to do is get our game face on. We got to get our blinders up. We got to say, I'm pressing forward. I'm moving forward. I'm moving on. I'm going forward. And uh, sometimes it's, it's, again, it's the pressures that comes to life, and yet the Lord will strengthen you to bear those challenges and circumstances of life that you cannot control. And somehow we just have to realize We've got to press on because there's a purpose that God has in our lives. The Lord has died for us and therefore I owe everything I have to the Lord. Every, everything in my life, I owe that to the Lord. And I believe, I, I, I don't, I'm not just talking to me. I, I'm, I believe there are people here tonight, you've got that same mindset. Somewhere inside of you, and sometimes it's a gnawing discontentment. You're like, man, what's the matter with me? It's the Spirit of the Lord that's pulling you on and trying to say there's more. i got more for you. I've got more that I want to do in your heart and in your life and the purpose of God. And so Paul endured these imprisonments. He was arrested in Philippi and Jerusalem, Caesarea and Rome. In fact, Clement of Rome in A.D. 96, he said that Paul had been in prison seven times in the span of his life. And I run across that today, and I thought, if I got through in the city jail or the county jail one time, I think I'd be ready to write my resignation. and Like, oh, my Lord, i got to quit. I've been thrown in jail, but here the apostle Paul was in, was in prison seven times throughout his life. What in the world would keep him going amidst all of those challenges? I think some of it's consistency of relationship and life with the Lord is don't get too high and don't get too low, which can be a challenge. And yet here was this great man of God. And just like Paul endured the imprisonments and the stigma of being a prisoner, 
we, we've got to endure those as well. I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm going to read quite a number of scriptures here real quick. But I, I want st- want you to look in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. The Bible says there, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Turn, turn over a few pages and look at Matthew chapter 10 and look in verse 22. Here's what the Bible says. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, he's going to be saved. Look to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39. The Bible says there, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake, he's going to find it. Turn over to Matthew 19 and look at verse 29. Matthew 19 and 29. Bible says there, and every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. And yet because we're trapped in these human bodies, we can't help but to see right here But listen to me, church. There's a world up there that you cannot see. You can't see. But when you get there, oh dear God, every trial, every calamity, every difficulty that you've experienced down here, it it will just be a snap of a finger quicker that you will forget every bit of that. As you walk into that reward, turn over to Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 15. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, that's where Paul's conversion takes place. Here's what Luke writes. The Lord tells Paul, he says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Don't tell him how many churches he's going to start. Don't tell him how many missionary journeys he's going to go on. Don't tell him how many many epistles he's going to write. Don't tell him how many young men he's going to impact. Don't tell him any of that. Tell tell him, Paul, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. You're going to have difficult days. You're going to have hard times. And yet amidst all of that, Paul presses forward and moves beyond. Turn to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. And look what what he writes there. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. The Bible says it like this. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And here's what he writes to Timothy. Timothy's pastoring there in Ephesus. And he writes these words to him. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and look in verse 10. Here's what he tells this young man. He says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Here's what he leaves there. He said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And people think, oh, I thought it was nice cars and big houses and giant screen TVs and fancy restaurants and raises and bonuses and blessings. That's what I thought it was. But that's not what the Scripture says. And then one more, James chapter 5. The Bible, this is a half-brother of Jesus. Here's what he writes. He says, take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction 
and patience. But I think probably all of us would say here tonight, knowing the reward that Paul has attained, I got a feeling that probably most of us would say, I'd like to swap my life for his. And yet we don't have that opportunity. The Lord has called every one of us to live our lives and to do the will and the purpose of God. Lord, your presence has been here. Lord, your word has, God has convicted. Lord, it's also stimulated encouragement. Lord, I pray tonight, God, that you help every one of us, Lord, to look to the life, Lord, of, of this apostle. And the challenges, Lord, that this man faced and the difficulties, Lord, that he walked through. Lord, false brethren, religious leaders, people, God, that tried to kill him. And yet, Lord, there was an overarching love and desire, God, that he had to see your will accomplished. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you would touch every one of us, Lord, with that same sense of calling and direction that we would be able, Lord, to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, and uh, thank you for coming to Wednesday Night Bible Study.